We start with questions to Prime Minister. Cal Smith. Question number one, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. There are no NHS dentists taking on patients in Lancaster and Fleetwood, and for those constituents of mine lucky enough to have one, they're waiting months for an appointment. So can I ask the Prime Minister how long he had to wait for his last NHS dentist appointment? Uh, Prime Minister. Well, Mr. Mr Speaker, we, as a result of the new reformed NHS dentistry contract, there are now more NHS dentists across the UK with more funding, making sure people can get the treatment they need. But, Mr Speaker, let me answer the lady directly. I am registered with an NHS GP. I have used independent health care in the past. I'll answer her question. Registered with NHS GP. I have used I have used independent healthcare in the past, and I'm also grateful to the Friarich Hospital for the fantastic care they've given my family over the years. But the, but the, but the, truth, is, but the truth is, Mr. Speaker, I'm proud to come from an NHS family, and that's why I'm passionately committed to protecting it with more funding, more doctors and nurses, and a clear plan to cut the waiting list. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. You are 24 times more likely to become a doctor if a parent is a doctor, 17 times more likely to become a lawyer if a parent is a lawyer, and there is a lower proportion of disadvantaged young people being admitted to degree-level apprenticeships by employers than to degrees by universities. So I warmly welcome what my right honourable friend set out last week about education and family, but does he agree with me we also need our universities, employers and professions playing their part to improve social mobility. Well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, everyone should have the opportunity to succeed, and my honourable friend is absolutely right that we all have a part to play. That's why I'm pleased the Social Mobility Commission is working to provide new information to young people about the opportunities available to them, but also a toolkit for employers so that they can also play their part in improving social mobility. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In the 13 years of the last Labour government, there were no national NHS strikes. If the Prime Minister had negotiated with the nurses before Christmas, they wouldn't be on strike. If he had negotiated with the ambulance workers, they wouldn't be on strike either. So why is he choosing to prolong the misery rather than end these strikes? Mr Speaker, we've always been clear that we want to have constructive dialogue with the unions. That is also also why, when it comes to the issue of pay, we have accepted in full the independent recommendations of the pay review bodies. The Honourable Gentleman simply doesn't have a policy when it comes to this question. If he wants, he talks... He talks about wanting to end the strikes. The question for him is simple, then. Why does he not support our minimum safety legislation? We all know why. We all know why, Mr Speaker. It's because he's on the side of his union paymasters, not patients. Mr Speaker, when I clap nurses, I meant it. His response... His response to the greatest crisis in the history of the NHS is to threaten to sack our nurses. 
His Transport Secretary says it's not the solution. His Education Secretary hopes it won't apply in schools. His own assessments say it could increase the number of strikes. The simple truth is you can't legislate your way out of 13 years of failure. Between 2010 and 2019, before anyone had heard of Covid, Prime Minister, the number of people stuck on the NHS waiting list doubled. Why do patients always wait longer under the Tories? This is the new year. I want to start off with the refreshed chamber, but certainly not by interruption. Prime Minister. Well, uh, Mr Speaker, he talks about the minimum safety legislation. Let's just talk about it a little bit further, because this is a simple proposition that no one, no one denies the union's freedom to strike, but it is also important to balance that with people's right to have access to life-saving health care at the same time. Mr Speaker, this, this shouldn't be controversial. This shouldn't be controversial. The International Labour Organisation supports minimum service levels. We, we have, they're, they're present in France, in Italy, in Spain. Normally, he's in favour of more European alignment, Mr Speaker. Why not now? Mr Speaker, they've gone from clapping the nurses to sacking the nurses. It's that simple. To add insult to injury, they're the cause of the crisis. His government commissioned a report on waiting times. He knows this. His own report says this is not a COVID problem, it's 10 years of managed decline. As a result, 7.2 million people are now waiting for treatment. He says he wants to be held to account over that. So let's be very clear. Is his promise merely to get those numbers back to where they were before COVID, that's 4.6 million, or back to where Labour had them in 2010, almost half of that. Which is it? Mr Speaker, again, let's just start with the facts. The Honourable Gentleman seems to completely ignore the fact that not just in England, but in Scotland and in Wales and in many other European countries, COVID has had an extraordinary impact on health services. Now, now we, we have a very clear plan to bring the waiting list down, and it's one that the NHS supports. But I tell you, I tell you what the NHS doesn't need. What they don't need is Labour's idea. What we don't need. What they don't need is Labour's only idea, which is for another completely disruptive, top-down, unfunded reorganisation buying out every single GP contract. Now, these aren't my words, Mr Speaker. The CEO of the Nuffield Trust said it will cost a fortune and it's out of date, just like the Labour Party. Mr Speaker, so... He can't tell us how much he'll reduce waiting lists by or when. So much for accountability that he wants. As ever with this Prime Minister, you scratch the surface and you find there is nothing there. Last month, 1.4 million people waited more than four weeks for a GP appointment. When Labour left government, you were guaranteed an appointment in two days. When does the Prime Minister expect to get back to that? Yeah. Well, Mr Speaker, 
When it comes to waiting lists, we've already eliminated two-year wait lists. Done last year. We're on track. We're on track. We're on track this spring to eliminate those waiting 18 months with a clear plan to go further to eliminate those waiting 52 weeks by next spring. And, and we're doing that with record funding, more community diagnostic centres, more surgical hubs and more patient choice. And that's why, Mr Speaker, I've made tackling waitlist one of my five priorities. But what, what are his? They seem to change every single week. I, but first, he was against NHS outsourcing. Now, he's apparently in favour of it. It is inconsistent, unprincipled, and in hoc to his union. Oh, 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 oh. I, I want the back. Can, shh, order, order. Can I just remind the Prime Minister it's Prime Minister's questions, not opposition questions? Please, Robert. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I, I heard the Prime Minister saying he's now registered with an NHS doctor, so he'll soon enjoy the experience of waiting on hold every morning at 8am to get a GP appointment. But I can tell him that those that are waiting now don't want another round of empty promises or boasting about what he's done. They just want to know when they'll be able to see a doctor. And this is not just about routine care. There could be nothing more terrifying than being told you might have cancer. That's why the last Labour government brought in a guarantee you'd been seen by a specialist within two weeks. Today, 50,000 people are waiting longer than that. 50,000. And everyone in this House will appreciate the anxiety that they're feeling. So when will cancer patients once again get the certainty of quick care that they got under Labour? Mr Speaker, why why is there a challenge with cancer times right now? I tell you... Again, again, it's just, I just absolutely no understanding of the situation, Mr. Speaker. What happened to cancer referrals during COVID? They went down by almost two thirds, Mr. Speaker. That was because of a pandemic that they went down. And by the way, if we had stayed and listened to him, we'd still be in lockdown, and there'd be even more waiting lists. Mr. Speaker, but actually, right now, there are record levels of cancer treatment as we catch up with those missed things. But he talks about what's terrifying, Mr. Speaker. What's terrifying is right now, what's terrifying is that right now, people not knowing whether when they call 999 they will get the treatment that they need. Now, Mr. Speaker, in, in, Australia, in Australia and Canada and the US, they ban strikes on blue light services. We're not doing that. All we're saying is that in these emergency services, patients should be able to rely on a basic level of life-saving care. Why is he against that, Mr Speaker? There's not a minimum level of service any day because they've broken the NHS. He's not promising that people would get to see a doctor in a few days, like they did under Labour. He's not promising that cancer patients would get urgent treatment, as they did under Labour. He's not even promising an NHS that puts patients first, like it did under Labour. No, he's promising that, that one day, although we can't say when, their record high waiting list will stop growing. And that's it. After 13 years in government, what does it say that the best they can offer is that at some point they might stop making things worse? Yeah. Yeah. Right, Minister. Well, Mr. Speaker, 
when it comes to the NHS, it's crystal clear. The Conservatives on the side of patients, Labour on the side of their union paymasters. Mr Speaker, I've laid out my priorities for the country. Waiting lists down, inflation down, debt down, growth up, and the boats stopped, Mr Speaker. All, all he does is flip from one thing to another, and that's the difference between him and me. He's focused on petty politics. I'm delivering for Britain. constituents in Truro and Falmouth, actually I would like to thank all of the health and social care yeah. professions in Cornwall yeah. for all of the hard work they're doing in a particularly difficult yeah. winter. Yeah. In Cornwall we don't get any respite in the summer because everybody comes to Cornwall for their, uh, for their holidays, which is brilliant, but we, so there is no respite in the summer or the winter for our health and social care professionals. And in addition to that, Mr Speaker, when we're trying to recruit people into social care, uh, which is a vocation, we, we, uh, there is, they are competing with hospitality and I would like to ask my right hon. friend, the Prime Minister, whether he is aware of these extra challenges that places like Cornwall face in recruitment and retention. Well, my my hon. friend is absolutely right to shine a spotlight and I share with her and be incredibly proud of all our social care uh, workers for the commitment that they have to their profession. And that's why many of them will benefit this spring from an almost 10% increase in the national living wage, putting an extra £1,600 uh, in their pay slips. But also, we want to make sure that they feel valued with professional development, training and career progression, and the half a billion pound investment we're putting into the social care workforce will do exactly that for hers and other workers. We now come to the leader of the SNP, Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, the longest and deepest recession in the entire G7. Brexit, 13 years of Tory rule. The energy price crisis, inflation and interest rates. If the people of Scotland are to do the math, as the Prime Minister so hopes, will they not come to the conclusion that this union simply doesn't add up? Well, I'm, I'm, pleased, I'm pleased the uh, honourable gentleman brought up energy, and he's right to do that, because energy, when it comes to the economy, is incredibly important to Scotland's energy, and actually Scotland will play a fantastic part in helping us transition to net zero. But what we do now know is that the Scottish Government don't want to support Scottish energy industry and the 200,000 jobs that it produces. I'm keen to work with the Scottish Government to support the North Sea, because it's something that we're all very proud of in the United Kingdom. Then, Mr Speaker, if he wants to talk about the fact that Scotland is energy rich but fuel poor on Westminster's watch, I am more than happy to do so. But for today, let's reflect upon numbers, and in particular those numbers which were shone a light on by Sam Coates of Sky, in particular those in relation to the Prime Minister's favourite potential successor, which showed that over the course of four months, from four speeches, he raked in in excess of a million does the Prime Minister not find it utterly perverse that senior members of the Conservative Party are feathering their nest in this way whilst at the same time seeking to deny working people the opportunity to strike for fair pay? Yeah. Um, I, well, Mr Speaker, I don't, I don't think we need to talk about our predecessors, but I reckon I remember I remember I think I think it was 
I think too much about, I think it was one of his predecessors that did indeed work for Russia Today, if I'm not mistaken. But, but what I would say is he talks about the priorities. You know, yesterday, the SNP spent time talking yet more about independence at a time when we should be talking about delivering for people across the United Kingdom, focusing on their jobs, improving the NHS across the UK, in Scotland as need as in everywhere else. That's the kind of thing I want to talk to the Scottish Government about, and I hope that he'll work with me to do that. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Have a proud record of supporting the UK steel industry. So, can I thank my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, for the work that he has already done for steel? He will know that steel is a vital strategic industry. It is essential for everything we do from defence to growth. So, can I ask him, will he do everything he can? to ensure that we're always able to make steel in this country. Does he agree with me <laughs> that steel is always safest under a conservative... Yeah. Mr Speaker, my honourable friend is a fantastic champion for the steel industry and this government remains committed to a, a thriving UK steel industry. That's why our support for steel includes almost £800 million in relief for electricity costs and steel companies that are eligible to bid for up to £1.5 billion in capital grants to speed their transition to net zero steel production. Ms Roberts. I'm sure the whole House would wish to join me in wishing all the best to Gareth Bale, the former yeah. captain of the Wales men's soccer team, who's been a national inspiration and took Wales to the Football World Cup. This Tory government attacks dedicated health and ambulance staff, but disruption from strikes is as nothing, nothing compared with the chronic disruption caused every day by their 13 years butchering of health budgets. Yeah. Meanwhile, Labour's Health Secretary in Wales follows the Tory playbook, blaming patients themselves for the standards of their health. But the reality is this. Health services in Wales suffer from a combination of mismanagement by Labour and a Westminster funding system which perpetuates poverty. Yeah, indeed. At levelling up. Prime Minister. Too long. The Prime Minister must have got well, it. Prime Minister, you can't go forever, Well, Mr. Uh, Mr. Speaker, first of all, let me join with the Honourable Lady as a Southampton fan, Gareth Bale, also a hero of mine as well, and I wish him well. Um, but when it comes to funding Wales, it's as a result of, of the funding from Barnet that the Welsh Government receives around uh, significantly more funding than the NHS uh, in England, but also £1.2 billion of extra funding as a result of the autumn statement. And what I'd say what I said to the Leader of the Opposition, this isn't about actually political point scoring. The NHS is under pressure in Wales, as it is in Scotland and in England, in large part because of the impact of a global pandemic, and she would do well to recognise that. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, unlike parties opposite, including the Scottish National Party and even the member for Aberdeen South, I know my right honourable friend supports uh, or, or recognises the critical role that oil and gas companies and their employees critically have in not only providing energy security but also the delivery of the energy transition to net zero. Can he therefore confirm that this government's uh, or can confirm this government's ongoing commitment to expanding on our carbon capture utilisation and storage capacity, including the Acorn project in St Fergus and my constituency, and can he provide an update on the Track 2 sequencing? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, my honourable friend is a fantastic champion and campaigner for this project. 
We will invest up to a billion pounds to establish carbon capture and storage in four industrial clusters by 2030. We very much recognise the benefits of the Scottish cluster and the role it could play in decarbonisation, and we're progressing our ta- track through and we'll set out further details in due course. Davis Jones. Yeah. Mr Speaker, the Times recently reported that schools across the UK are in crisis as the effects of online influencer Andrew Tate's vile misogyny infiltrates our classrooms and society. Teachers are now having to develop their own resources to re-educate boys who are being brainwashed online by his deeply toxic messaging. The Prime Minister has been too slow to recognise this damage this is causing. What has he done? What is his government doing to tackle this misogyny, this incel culture and the radicalisation of young men in this country? And will he commit to giving teachers the resources that they need to address this problem head-on. Mr Speaker, with regard to funding, we announced in the autumn statement £2 billion of extra funding for our schools. But I'm also proud that this government has introduced the world-leading, world-first online safety bill, which specifically improves protections for children and puts very strict obligations and penalties on tech com- companies for enforcing them. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. The building... The Building a Brighter Future project at Torbay Hospital will be the biggest single investment in South Devon's healthcare services since the NHS was founded in 1948. Can you assure me the Government's commitment to it remains unchanged? My my honourable friend is a fantastic champion for his local hospital and his constituents. I'm pleased to say that the new hospital scheme for Torbay is part of our plan to deliver dozens more hospitals by 2030. We remain committed to the delivery of that new hospital, and I'm pleased that his his trust are talking to the new hospital programme team about how to progress those plans. Alex Cunningham. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Taxpayers are set to lose tens of billions of pounds after the transfer of valuable public assets to two Teesside businessmen, all without a full and transparent procurement process. And a relative of one of those people is now benefiting from millions of pounds worth of scrap from the same Teesworks site. Will the Prime Minister launch an inquiry into these crony contracts? And whilst he's at it, tell his Environment Secretary to get serious about the environmental disaster of the Teesside coast, which is linked to the site. Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, as the Honourable Gentleman will already be aware, uh, DEFRA already carried out a comprehensive, evidence-led investigation, considered everything robustly, and concluded that natural causes was most likely responsible for some of the things that we saw. But we recognise people want a thorough investigation of this issue, and DEFRA have confirmed that an independent panel will be set up to report quickly. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Labour-controlled Bradford Council continually neglect the needs of Bingley and other parts of my constituency as they pour all of their money into their inner-city heartlands. Therefore, my constituents look to the government in order to put right their failings. That's why the levelling up fund is so important. So will the Prime Minister insist that the levelling up fund for Bingley, which has been submitted, which will also unlock many millions of pounds of private sector investment, Will he insist that that bid is successful when the announcement is made in the near future? What about mine? Mr Mr. Speaker, unlike uh, the Labour Council, my honourable friend is a fantastic champion for his constituents in Bingley. As as I have told him previously, I can't comment on individual bids, but I wish him every success and will be following with close interest how it proceeds.
Early Paris. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Does the Prime Minister believe that over 40,000 interactions by either social media, email, or letter regarding the poor customer service and working conditions at the delivery company Every warrants an investigation by the relevant government department? His ministers in Bayes think not. But I'm sure the Prime Minister would want the general public to believe that he at least is interested enough in this problem to take action. Yes. Yes. Prime Minister. So, uh, well, Mr Speaker, I am aware that other government ministers have looked into this issue and are currently considering uh, the matter at hand, and I would be happy to write to her when we learn more about the situation. The does the Prime Minister agree that the right way to secure the best future for the British people is to deliver on the people's priorities and secure a strong economy? Yeah. And will he confirm that he will not make any unfunded spending commitments which would rack up billions of debt, as the party opposite have done in the last week? friend is absolutely right. If we want to safeguard the future of our public services and make sure that our young people inherit a strong economy, we must be disciplined on spending and borrowing. She's absolutely right about no more, uh, no unfunded spending commitments. Unlike, as she says, the party opposite at last count, £90 billion of unfunded spending commitments. It's the same old Labour, Mr Speaker. They always run out of other people's money. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Less than half of Wakefield's children managed to see an NHS dentist last year. My constituent, Mr Fakazai, six-year-old daughter, has never seen an NHS dentist. She has ten teeth which are black with decay and is often crying with pain. Her father feels helpless. He's called every dentist in Wakefield for a place but hasn't managed to secure one. Over 25% of five-year-olds in Wakefield already have visible tooth decay. So when will the Prime Minister stop dithering and take action to address our national dental emergency? Well, Mr. Speaker, I'm very, I'm very sorry to hear about the case raised by the honourable gentleman. I'm happy to, happy to look into that specific one more closely. But as I said in answer to an earlier question, we have recently reformed the NHS dentistry contract. Hundreds of million pounds of more funding and more dentists, which should make a difference around the country. But I'll write to him on the specific case. Ms. Ross. The gas industry supports 90,000 Scottish jobs, but yesterday Nicola Sturgeon's SNP government published plans calling for as fast as possible shutdown of the industry and an end to new exploration. These plans, these plans are naive and reckless and were previously, previously described by the SNP leader in this House as crazy. So will the Prime Minister reaffirm his support for Scotland's oil and gas workers and the future of our industry? Mr Speaker, honourable friend, is absolutely right. We know that we will have to rely on hydrocarbons for decades to come as we transition to net zero. And consuming oil and gas from the North Sea means less than half the carbon footprint of importing that same oil and gas, which is obviously makes sense to do it here and in the process support tens of thousands of jobs in Scotland. So I can reassure him that the Scottish oil and gas industry has this government's wholehearted support. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Tory crisis in the NHS includes ophthalmology, the largest and busiest outpatient service. There are more than 650,000 people waiting to see a eye care specialist. 
Will the Prime Minister back my bill calling for a national eye health strategy that would ensure that nobody waiting for to see a specialist will go without and potentially lead to a complete loss of sight? Can I, I thank the Honourable Lady for her campaigning in this area. And we are taking action to improve things. Over the past five years, the National Institute for Health and Care Research has invested more than £100 million to support research into eye conditions. But I know that there's more can do, uh, we can do, and my uh, Honourable Friend, the Minister, I believe, is sitting down to talk to the Honourable Lady in due course, and I look forward to hearing about those comments. Speaker, uh, today I and others met uh, with Sebastian Lai, the son of Jimmy Lai, who languishes in prison, the ex-owner of Apple Daily. I remind my right honourable friend that he is a British citizen and a British passport holder, and he now faces a trial at the end of the year in which he can be incarcerated under the new national security laws for life. For what? For publishing truth to power. Will my right honourable friend please now direct the rest of his government, particularly the Foreign Office, now to warn the Chinese government, if they persist with this, he, and alongside the Americans who have already done this, will threaten that the use of common law in Hong Kong will be taken away. Well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, my right honourable friend speaks with authority on these issues, and I thank him for his continued engagement on this critical issue. Uh, he knows the actions we have already taken with regard to Hong Kong, not least providing refuge uh, for hundreds of thousands of people here, and being robust in standing up to what we believe to be Chinese aggression and, indeed, an undermining of the settlement that we fought so hard to achieve. Uh, he has my absolute assurance I will continue to remain engaged and robust on this, and I look forward to sitting down with him to discuss this particular issue in more detail as soon as possible. We're Thank you, Mr Speaker. Half of British women and a fifth of men have been sexually harassed at work or a place of study. The government's own figures show that 40, 41 of those said their perpetrators faced no consequences. Thanks to cross-party and government support, my private member's bill, which has now passed committee stage, will bring about a culture change to protect workers from harassment and sexual harassment, both from fellow employees and third-party individuals. Will the Prime Minister join me in celebrating the cross-party work on this important change in the law and by personally supporting its aims and objectives and ensuring its safe continued passage through this Parliament? Prime Minister. Can I thank the Honourable Lady for her important work on this issue? And sexual harassment has absolutely no place in the workplace, and everyone should be able to feel safe at work. Now, of course, we need to make sure that legislation doesn't have unintended consequences, but I know she is meeting with my right honourable friend, the Minister for Women and Equalities, to discuss her bill further, and I look forward to hearing her progress on that meeting. Matt Hancock. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that the disgusting anti-Semitic, anti-vax conspiracy theories that have been promulgated online this morning are not only deeply offensive but anti-scientific and have no place in this House or in our wider society. Well, can I join with my right honourable friend in completely condemning those types of comments that we saw this morning in the strongest possible terms. Obviously, it is utterly unacceptable to make linkages and use language like that, and I'm determined that the scourge of anti-Semitism is eradicated. It has absolutely no place in our society. And I know that the previous few years have been challenging for the Jewish community, and I never want them to experience anything like that ever again. Final question, Nadia Whitton. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, a 95-year-old constituent of mine spent 41 hours in A&E. When will the Prime Minister admit that the NHS is collapsing because of 13 years of underfunding and do something about it instead of blaming the nurses striking to save it? Mr Speaker, first of all, I'm very sorry to hear about the experience of the elderly constituent that the Honourable Lady raised, and my sympathies go out to her. But this is not about blaming anybody. This is about recognising that the NHS, whether in Scotland, whether in Wales, where it is run by the Labour Party, whether here in England, is facing pressure as we recover from a pandemic. The right thing to do is to have a clear plan in place to work with doctors and nurses to ease that pressure. That's what we're focused on doing, and that's what our plans will deliver. Right, that completes Prime Minister's questions. We'll just let the Chamber clear.